0: Sacred Feminine, broadcasting across the globe for eight years now, discussing sex, power, politics, and religion. Thank you for tuning in this week of Thanksgiving. I know some of you said uh, you'll be listening to the archives during your long commutes to see family and friends over the holiday, and I thank you for spending your time with me. I know you have a lot of options to choose from. Well, um, you'll want to stay tuned in with me tonight uh, through the end of the show and after my interview with um, my returning guest, Susan Hawthorne, tonight. Uh, She's calling in from Australia, and she's the author of Lupa and the Lamb, or The Wolf and the Lamb, and we'll be discussing the rise of violence as Christianity started to take hold, her discovery of sheep goddesses during her research, Lupa or Wolf Stories, Um, in Etruscan mythology, I believe. And yes, I'll be asking her if there's validity to the idea that the she-wolf that suckled Romulus and Remus was a metaphor for the sacred feminine. But as I said, stay tuned in with me after our interview. I have some interesting things to share about finding blessings in the craziest of places, Uh, the not-so-good news of Egypt's first genital mutilation trial, comments on the Ferguson verdict, and a bit more. And remember, uh, last week I mentioned I tell you the story of my grandmother and her bootlegger husband. It's a very funny story and really so appropriate to the show and the status of women. Um, I'll reveal this little secret of my family as a gift to you for your attention during all the distraction of the holidays. And as you probably know, uh, unless you're a new listener, I'm your host, Karen Tate, and I'm glad to be with you tonight. Tonight's music, uh, that cut was uh, called Maria, um, named for the Sacred Feminine by the band from across the pond called Be Optimistic. I mentioned last week Roy and I, uh, my honey, my husband of 30 years, uh, we were going to be celebrating our vow renewal uh, this past Sunday, and uh, it turned out to be an incredible day. It was a packed house, and we were so surprised to see so many friends get up so early on a Sunday morning and get out of bed when they could have you know, stayed home and taken it easy. So thank you so, so much. Um, It meant so much to us. You are our blessings, truly. And if you'd like to see some of the pictures, uh, you can go to my Karen Tate Facebook page. And as you're looking at the photos, uh, if you're wondering where we are, we're at one of the only brick-and-mortar goddess temples working seven days a week on the face of our Mother Earth. I hope you'll visit it one day. I wrote about it in my Sacred Place of Goddess 108 Destinations book, and it's soon going to be, in, besides just a church um and our community center it's also going to be uh... an official museum yes a museum So when you can, when you're down in Southern California, visit the beautiful Goddess Temple of Orange County in Irvine. It's open to the public uh, Friday and Saturday afternoons uh, for meditation and viewing uh, the beautiful museum exhibits of Goddess from the Paleolithic to the present. Uh, Goddess Spiritual Celebration Services are every Sunday, rain or shine, 11 to 1230. And Fourth Sundays are for all genders. Um, all other Sundays are for adult women. Every Friday from 5 to 7, you can enjoy the Temple's Venus Hour. It's Orange County's best happy hour, but not the type you think of. It's not the kind of happy hour that you'd get in a bar. At the, this happy hour, there's libations, snacks, m- music, free movies. Uh, you get to meet new people, and it's all free. So uh, if you want to look more into that, uh, you can go to their website, uh, goddesstempleoc.org, goddesstempleoc.org. Um, just a couple more announcements before I get to Susan Uh, I see she's here on the switchboard Uh, I mentioned Roy and I were invited uh, to give workshops uh, on finding love and keeping it on the Love Cruise seminar at sea coming up this Valentine's Day visiting the beautiful Mexican Riviera we'll be just some of the workshop presenters uh, and you know this is for everyone to help improve all their relationships in their lives not just finding love so if you're in Interested, take advantage of the early bird discount that might not extend past the end of November. And I have an additional discount I have the ability to give to you to lower the $9.99 price tag even more if you get in touch with me before registering. So it's not a bad deal, especially if you're here on the West Coast and it doesn't involve airfare. For $9.99, you can take the cruise for seven days all the food you can eat, all the entertainment, and all the workshops you can handle. So think about doing something different for Valentine's Day. This could be the first step to change your love life or the relationships in your life. And if you're interested, the workshops Roy and I are giving on the cruise or... Um, as I mentioned one of them, finding love and keeping it for the rest of your life, but also awakening to the lover within and breaking free to be your authentic self. Because I really think unless you do that, uh, I think that's the first step to actually finding love. You have to know who you are, and sometimes you have to break free to be that person. People have been asking us, uh, Roy and I, how we met, what's our secret for staying together happily for 30 years. And we're glad to be able to be putting that in a workshop and sharing our tips and, I guess, maybe you could say the wisdom that we've gleaned over three decades. Uh, Just go to my Facebook page, uh, Karen Tate, and scroll down, and you'll see the Facebook event I made for the cruise. And if you have any trouble at all finding it, just get in touch, and don't forget... Especially, Get in touch with me for the special secret discount code if you decide you want to sign up. And now uh, for tonight's show, Susan Hawthorne has been on the show before, and I'm glad to have her back on our pre-Thanksgiving show discussing her newest book of several she's authored. This one is Lupa and Lamb. Very interesting research she's unearthed about myths of ancient Rome, particularly as they relate to the she-wolf uh, goddesses uh, how Christianity changed the mythic lands, landscape uh, to to more depictions of violence. Uh, but let me tell you uh, a little bit about her first, in case uh, you don't remember. Uh, Susan is a poet as well, uh, who spent six months living in Rome in 2013, writing a book called Lupa and Lamb. Uh, the Time in Rome was made possible by a grant from the Australia Council. Her previous book, Cow, published in 2011, was a finalist in the Audre Lorde Lesbian Poetry Prize in the U.S. and in the prestigious Kenneth Slessor Poetry Prize in Australia. She's the author of nine works of poetry as well as fiction and nonfiction. So, Susan, welcome back to the show. Thank you for calling in. Well,
1: thank you very much, and uh, it's a great delight to be on air with you.
0: Well, you know when I read that you um got a grant from the Australia Council to go do that research, I thought, "Wow, how incredible is that um is it does Australia often finance these sorts of um you know intellectual endeavors um i, I don't think we have a lot of that here in the United states
1: uh well, there are some grants this one uh is exists because uh, a poet who lived in uh Rome in the 50s through to the 80s um, he lived in this particular flat in Rome this apartment and uh, his his wife after he died uh, approached the Australia Council and said I would like Australian writers to have the chance to come here for six months and she gave an advantage. If you're a poet, you get an advantage. It's very rare for poets to get any advantage ever. Um, And so I applied for this grant. I missed out on the first time, and I reapplied, and I was very lucky to get it. And I could not have written Luke and Lamb if I hadn't received the grant, because you can't get to know Rome, even in six months. I feel like I know something of Rome now after six months but I could easily go back and find another Rome if I were able to spend a further six months there. And I have to say that because of your program, I met a wonderful woman, Suzanne Santoro, who's an artist who's been living um, in Rome for the last 40 years. And she and I met about four days after I arrived and we developed a fantastic friendship and she told me things that I could never have known about. Um, if I hadn't been on your program before I went to Rome last year. So I have to thank you for that friendship.
0: <laughs> wow, well, thank you so much. Well, and you know, um, I was looking at the statistics for my website in the show, and uh there's actually a lot of folks from Italy um that tune in It's one of the countries with the with the highest numbers that uh, seem to be paying attention and I wonder what that's about <laughs> um you know well, i I guess I think I was... that
1: there, there hmm. I think that there are um there is interest in in this area in Italy. Uh, at the moment, I, I stumbled across some of some of that interest while I was there, uh, and because it's got such an extraordinary uh, history, uh, as actually many parts of Europe do, but lots of bits are not known. Um, uh, I think that that has generated interest in the, the fact that there is an Etruscan heritage in Italy, that of course the Romans and and the, all the others. Um That have existed there, I think that that generates um, um you know more interest in in
0: in history than okay. uh perhaps some other places. Well, you know, from a very practical perspective, and I I hope I don't offend my listeners in Italy. I don't mean to at all. I'm just speaking the truth. Um, My husband and I were fortunate enough in the early days to travel a good bit, you know, chasing down sacred sites. And um, we we were able to go to a lot of different countries because we were part-time travel agents at the time, and Mm. airfare was Mm -hmm. cheaper, and we could get fares like, Round trip to Rome or round trip to Paris for like three hundred dollars and uh so so i'm I'm glad we took advantage of all of that when you know the, there were opportunities to do that because. You know, you can't do that anymore. But, you know, um, mm. I, our trip to Italy was difficult. Um, it uh, I had dreams before the trip. I, I talk about this actually in my Walking and Ancient Path book because I talk about our sacred journeys in that book uh, from a more personal perspective than uh, my Sacred Places book, which is just more fact-oriented about the sacred places. But I had warning dreams before we left, and um, I was on guard the entire time. We were almost pickpocketed twice. And, you know, I had never experienced that in other countries. And um, the sacred sites weren't very well marked. And I guess I wonder, has that changed much? Or is it, you well, know, I, I chalked it up to the, you know, the, um, the economy, you know, that uh, things were really rough, mm-hmm. especially in the southern part of Italy. Some
1: aspects have changed. I I, um, I might have been pickpocketed one evening on a very crowded bus, but I I wasn't sure if I had been. <laughs> so if I lost some money, uh, it was a relatively small amount. So that that but that was my only encounter with that, and I know that from previous occasions that that has changed. Um, as so far as the um signing of things go i I got very interested in the politics of museums and uh, and ruins because what happens is that the the mainstream um the 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 story that everybody wants to believe is really well signed but if you're doing what you and I are doing that is looking for uh material evidence of earlier um Societies and signs and so forth, then uh, you will generally find them unsigned, unmarked. And I found this in the Palatino where there is a beautiful um, uh, stone sculpture in the wall. And if I hadn't been alert to it, I would have simply walked past it and not seen it. I was standing there excitedly taking photos. Nobody even noticed that I had this excitement because it was an absolutely beautiful image of of a, um, a wolf, bird, woman. And I kept finding them. And almost every time I found the wolf, bird, women sculptures, uh, they were in hidden corners of museums. And I think the, the, the best example of the hidden bit was um, an example just near the end of my trip. A friend of a friend... Um, his name was Rosanna Fiorgetto, told me about a, a wolf uh, gl- engraving that was 300,000 years old. And I thought that she'd made a mistake. I thought it should be 30,000 years. Anyway, this is in the museum in Ancona, and it's called La Donna Lupa Paleolithica. And it's a small piece of stone about the size of a mobile phone, and on it is the image of a woman, a naked woman, with her hands crossed over her breasts and a wolf mask on her head. And I was so excited um, that I went around the museum and, and I didn't know where to find it. And eventually I, I found found this, um, thanks to one of the women in the museum. who took me down the stairs, through one room, through another room, into a really back room of, of the museum. And there among the rocks was this little engraving. Now, 300,000 years means that it's one of the oldest artworks in the world. Absolutely. And if I were running this museum, I'd have it up in lights. Right. Um, but, uh, you know, there I couldn't buy the book about it because the bookshop was closed because it was winter. Um, <laughs> yeah. So things like that. Um, but everywhere I've looked... In in all the the research I've done about it, everyone is saying three hundred thousand years old. So that doesn't seem to be a, an error. And right, right. I'm not. Wow. To find.
0: So so let, so let me ask you. I mean, I, I and uh, I, I know this isn't a direct correlation, but when you said the wolf mask, it reminded me that you know little young girls who were taken to the Artemis temples you know they used to wear bear masks and do bear dances um do you mm. think this was some sort of um wolf goddess i mean what's the what's the significance of uh, of the she-wolves is, is it the metaphor for romulus and remus's mother the sacred feminine goddess or what's behind it all
1: well oh, I think there are many ways of, of, of thinking about it and you know, I don't know if it's a goddess or if it's a woman wearing a mask or if it you know, there's when you go back into prehistory what you find is very, very strong associations between people and animals and particularly between women and animals. And you get lots of associations, whether it's uh, of sheep or of wolves or of cows or of lions or, you know, a whole range of, of, of different animals um, are associated with women. So I think... It, it And it's hard to know what that signifies. I think each of us is able to uh, create our own interpretation. But for me, what's important is that uh, women had an important part in the society, whatever that was, uh, that there was an association between the women and, let's say, the wolves or the sheep. um, And this is being uh, shown by those depictions. And maybe there were some magical kinds of rituals that were being um, uh, put on uh, and different uh, bits of the community participated in that. There's a, there's a limit on what we can know, but I think that we have to say women were important and women's association with animals was also very important and that it right. had some kind of sacred meaning.
0: Well, you know, <laughs> that's, that's, like you said, you know, we, yeah. we can't know. You know, we can't know. We can only intuit. And I guess the things I think about is, you know, maybe it's showing a close a close connection between women and nature. Um, you know the wolf is i don 't know the wolf is not that far far from the dog uh you know and i 'm thinking mm. about you know uh you know Diana and her wolves and mm, you know her mm, Diana mm. and her dogs um and you know you wonder if um i i well and this is contemporary but uh um, Clarissa Pincola Estes is women who ran with the wolves um mm. you know this you know maybe this idea of um you know the archetype of the she-wolf you know mm. um, Well, i think we
1: can also take some meaning by understanding uh the the stories that are told like the story of lupa and the interesting thing about the story of lupa is that it's about a woman who is the daughter of um an early roman king called king numitor and she is raped by the god Mars. Uh, and her uncle, who's called Amulius, and he's the younger brother of Numitor, he, uh, he has killed Numitor and doesn't want her to have any descendants. So she's thrown in jail, uh, and when she gives birth, her two children are taken from her, which has a very big resonance in places like Australia where we have stolen children, histories. Um and so the children are taken from her and um Amulius wants these these boys to be killed. But the shepherd who takes the boys out decides just to sit them by the river. He can't he can't actually kill them. So he puts them by a river that's in flood and by chance a shepherd comes along, whose name is Faustulus, and he picks them up and uh, no, no, sorry, first of all, the, the, the wolf comes along, Lupa, who has given birth to cubs just that day, and she sees these boys, picks them up and takes them back to a cave and suckles them. Then Faustulus, the shepherd, comes along and he hears the cries of the two boys and he picks them up and takes them home to his wife. His wife has already had 12 sons, one of whom has just died, so now she has 13 so, you know, there are all sorts of really interesting things going on in there. And Lupa, the original victim of rape, Lupa is also the she wolf, and Lupa is also the, the other name of the foster mother, Aka Laurentia. So we have three lupas in the one story. And, you know, wow. when I finally worked all this out, which was rather complicated um you know i just thought well here we are we've got the 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 trivia the the triple goddess the other the other kinds of you know three women figures you get all over europe whether it's the norns of scandinavia or the grey eye from greece or etc etc uh and so there's there's a very interesting story happening there about um maybe a triple goddess who is a wolf goddess who's now been taken over and turned it, it then gets turned into a patriarchal story through the rape of the original one and the the taking away of the children from the mother and raising them separately
0: um, now and that's you... how colonization works <laughs> it, it, wait can you connect those dots a little bit more how does how does that how does that, you know, where's the parallel between that and colonization? Well,
1: because... You mean the rape when, of the women? Um, when, colonizers, when colonizers come in, they rape the local women. Uh, when those women have children, very frequently those children are taken away from the mothers so that they can't learn their culture, and they are raised in the culture of the, uh, the victim. the the so-called victor or the coloniser. And so if you see it as a metaphor for the way in which patriarchy overcomes what we might call a matrilineal society, um, then it, it works in the same way. So you go in, you rape the women, you take the children away and you raise them in a patriarchy. So then they get told these stories through a patriarchal lens
0: rather than through the original matrilineal lens. And and also, too, uh, even if, you know, whether it was or wasn't a, a matrilineal um, a lineage that they're destroying, they're just, you know, they're sort of obliterating the, the previous culture, in a sense, because now yes. they're, yes. Um, you know, they're destroying the descendants of their enemies. Mm-hmm. Indeed. Yeah. Yes. So it's
1: it, it, it's about empire.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I can I can see what you mean. And and you said that uh, interestingly the the she wolf or the lupa is also turns out to mean prostitute.
1: Yes, yes, that's the other meaning. And that's also a uh, uh, another way that colonizing works. It it works to to uh turn words such as the word wolf uh, into an insult, and it, the, the equivalent in English is the word bitch, uh, and that's used as an insult.
0: Yeah, um, yeah. and you get
1: it in modern Italian as well. Cagna, which is the word for a female dog, is, is has the similar meaning as bitch in in uh, in Italian. So you get you get these sorts of things happening, and so language is also changed.
0: Well, and, and you're right. You know, we hear all about Romulus and Remus because, again, I was thinking about them when you said the, you know, the the wolf comes and saves the little boys sitting at the side of the river mm. and takes them to our cave and suckles them. And, you know, I'm thinking to myself, hmm, you know, could that have had some? You know, is that a part of the Romulus Remus story? But yet, the she wolf is, mm. is has seen has. uh, sort of been tipped to the curb in our patriarchal culture. People don't hear Mm -hmm. about all the um, she-wolf, you know, metaphors and stories, it sounds like. Mm, mm,
1: mm. And that's why I wanted to go to Rome, because I thought this was a really interesting interesting story and that really the only place I would find out how it felt would be in Rome and it's interesting because you you actually see images of of lupa all over Rome I mean, you see them in the public spaces where you have um, freezers on the walls or you have on the rubbish bins you know, (laughs) this tiny little lupa with Romulus and Remus on, on the front of the rubbish bins, you see them on cards, you see them of course when you go into the museum so it's a really really important symbol for rome uh and and then the other important symbol is is um is the lamb and you see that all over rome as well um and particularly obviously
0: in the churches well now is the lamb referring to you know jesus of christianity is is that the you know is is that what the the lamb we're talking about tonight is that the um the symbol of uh of, of jesus
1: well, it's 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 but it's both things. I, what I found really interesting was, first of all, if you go to the Etruscan Museum in Rome, you see the most wonderful sculptures of sheep heads. And I grew up on the sheep farm. I really know what a sheep looks like. <laughs> and so when I saw this sculpture in the Etruscan Museum, I was absolutely bowled over by it. I took lots of photos. Uh, and then I kept seeing others as well. And then I started going into the churches. And I discovered the figure of, um, uh, Santa, uh, Santa Agnese. Who, Agnese comes from, um, the word for lamb in, in Latin. Uh, and when you see Agnese, she's either holding a lamb or she has a lamb sitting next to her. And I was told when I went to the catacombs by one of the people doing the guiding that at the beginning of Christianity in the first, you know, hundred or so years of it, the lamb was a much more important icon than was the figure of Christ on the cross. And the lamb also is um, is a very important part of the society economically speaking. Um, women wove, uh, lambs wool, uh, woolen clothes were the norm uh, certainly among the, the well-off people in Rome uh, and the Vestal Virgins had a, a a kind of shawl that they wore that was made from lambs wool and the Pope now wears an identical <laughs> shawl and he's the only person allowed to wear it so you can see how it got passed over from the Vestal virgins to the, to the Pope um and the thing is that the lamb be- also becomes a symbol for um innocence or sometimes for passivity um or those sorts of things and get very much associated with the virgin martyrs as well among whom is Agnese. and saint agnesa is just she's extraordinary she was only 12 or 13 Um, when she was martyred. She was dragged through the streets naked to a place called a Now, a uh, is the word for a brothel. So you've got lupa coming in there again. Uh, They then attempted to rape her unsuccessfully and some of the men who attempted to rape her went blind. Uh, Another thing that she tried to do is she grew hair all over her body, which again reminds you of the wolf. And because none of these things were working, they then beheaded her.
0: <laughs> and wow.
1: you I, I was just left, you know, with my mouth open, going, oh, you know, how terrible is, is this story? But it comes up again and again and again with the Virgin Martyrs. You get a similar story with Santa Cecilia, who is uh, not properly killed, and she lies there for three days, and um, in one one version of the story, her her uh, uh, bodiless head sings for three days, which reminds me of the Orpheus story. You know, and and the church in uh, Trastevere uh, that is there for Santa Cecilia is one of the most moving places that I've been to. And um, I read a poem out of it because it was such a, um, a powerful experience.
0: Did you want to share it?
1: Um, yes I can do that um, let me just find page 76 um, and what do you see when you go into the uh, into the church is you see um, an altar and it has a beautifully carved marble young woman uh, just in front of the altar so I wrote this poem for Santa Cecilia under the apse a pure white marble body, hands bound, head wrapped, face downward, crying, she sings through her dead mouth. The earth hears her long, dying song above gold above, golden angels spiral, and my heart weeps
0: mm. tender, and tender. Uh, Santa
1: Cecilia is the patron saint of music where Santa Agnesa is the patron saint of Virgin Martyrs. <laughs> and, well so, so is there yeah. a is
0: there a theme running through this? You know, kind of the um uh, you know, the animals with women, um I mean I know we see in patriarchal culture uh, you know animals and women, or you know in the earth you know they 're all sort of subjugated and marginalized and abused um, you know do you think you were seeing that um, in 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 all of this you are uncovering there
1: in in a way uh, and what i what seems clear to me was that prior to patriarchy, women and animals. Shared um, an a important role, so you see that in the story of Saint Medea and the and the Golden Fleece, um, and you get that association with her. Uh, but also, when when patriarchy comes in, not only do the women suffer, but the animals also suffer, and both of them uh, see their, their status their, in terms of the social hierarchy. Uh, drops at the same time and I've also noticed that if if you look back through history if you get a society that is really really cruel to animals then um, you also get a lot of cruelty to women you get a lot of cruelty to women
0: well, mm. you know, you're you're making me. Well, it seems like I mean patriarchy, Christianity, and I mean I'm, we're sort of focused on Christianity, but I guess we could really just mm. say Abrahamic religions. Um, yeah, you know, whatever. Not just they, them. Either. Huh? say
1: again. Not just them either. I mean, in in um, you know, in other non-Abrahamic religions, if you get cruelty. Uh, to animals, you will also get cruelty to women.
0: So it, where okay. there are very
1: strong patriarchal traditions.
0: Okay, fair enough. Thank you for um, for clarifying that because it is important. Um, but you know, we we see you know in patriarchy, if they want to uh, take power away from something, it seems like they always demonize it. You know, um, whether we're talking mm. about mm. our sacred blood. Um, You know, because, I mean, at least Barbara Walker writes about how uh, it used to be sacred blood was thought of as as very powerful and magical. And then I guess if you can't create it yourself and you can't control it, then what do you do to take its power away? You demonize it. And, you know, we have women (laughs) suffering, you know, because, uh, you know, now patriarchy tells them that they're, you know, they're foul or they're dirty or they're going to kill the crops or whatever it is. Um, Mm, mm, mm. But then I'm thinking Mary Magdalene, too, you know, the prostitute.
1: I think it's interesting that when women bleed, we don't die.
0: Mm -hmm. But if
1: men bleed for that long, mostly they do.
0: Right. So that
1: creates um, a very big difference of perception also.
0: Yes, yes. Yes, and uh, so to, you know, take away that, you know, that magical ability, uh, you know, somehow, um, you know, demonize it rather than revering it. And, uh, uh, you know, you can see where if your agenda is to dominate, then, you know, that's the kind of thing that you do, you know, if you propaganda, mm-hmm. enough propaganda about it uh you know and uh, powerful things get demonized i mean i know we're going to talk a little bit more about it later but i it, i i think about feminism how patriarchy has demonized feminism uh, mm-hmm. you know because mm-hmm. it's uh, i think it's a powerful movement um mm-hmm. you know well i think uh, also uh,
1: that you know that's one of the other uh, aspects of my book is is that i have a series of um lost texts and I'm was very pleased to hear that you're associated with a museum. I think it should be changed to museum, <laughs> mm, <laughs> with an extra uh, A in there, which means okay. the place the place of the muses. Um, yeah. And uh, and 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 my character in the book called Curatrix um, is the woman who looks after this museum matricum, uh, and in it she has these different lost texts that have been written across very long periods of time and um I I had a I had a very interesting time creating uh, and finding um the lost texts because some of them are very recent you know just a few years old some of them go back 300,000 years and some of them are um versions of poems that have been found you know to do with um, linear A or etruscan or so forth and one of the reasons why I wanted to do that Um, was because I think that it's important that we understand how it is uh, that we get our knowledge um, and what counts as knowledge. And in a way, it also reflects what I had at the beginning by Monique Wittig, you know, where she says, you know, "There there are no words to describe the time, the past. You say it does not exist, but remember, make an effort to remember or failing that invent so i wanted to play with the ideas of remembering and invention and recognizing that a lot of patriarchal history is sheer invention
0: (laughs) yes 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 yeah i mean believe me i say that all the time and i don't know why um women uh and, and i'm going about you know i I'm taking my own advice, but I wonder why women haven't taken some of these um you know these goddess myths, these archetypes you know and and ran with it more you know um and and put stuff out there that um you know that challenges patriarchy that says you know this is you know this is what we had before uh and you know it told us how to live you know we haven't always been this way because that's that's what uh, the story is and it, isn't it that you know things have always mm-hmm. been this way and um but most
1: most people believe that patriarchal is both universal and inevitable and it's neither of those right um you know there are non-patriarchal societies that still exist around the world and the fact of these Unearthed histories that that we are finding, it also shows that it is not inevitable, that it is not something that has been there of all time. One of the one of the ways in which men and not just men, but some women too, justify war is because they say it's war has always existed, and I don't believe that. I think war came about once. Uh, people, one group of people started dominating another and they found it to be a very lucrative way to get ahead and uh, and so it went on and one after another it started to spread around the world and, you know, that happened probably somewhere around about 6,000 years ago, roughly. Uh, But before that, you very rarely find evidence
0: of war. Well, and Susan, how sad is it? I mean, think about this. I mean, I think it's a poor excuse, even if you believe that it's always been this way and it's inevitable, that's saying that humanity can't change, that, that we mm. are so mm. feeble, we are so yep. feeble that we can't do better. Now, how sick is mm. that?
1: <laughs> yep. Yes, it is. I agree, it's absolutely sick. But but it suggests that you know we're so caught up in our human nature whatever that means, um, <laughs> that we can't change. But feminism yeah. is, is such a, a, a philosophy which suggests that, in fact, we are capable of change because in order to be a feminist, you have to be an optimist. You True. have to believe that it is
0: possible for people to change. Well, why would we be doing what we're doing? <laughs> mm,
1: indeed. Absolutely. Indeed.
0: Well, I you know I want to talk about feminism in Australia before you go, but I want to you know keep talking sure. about your book a bit. Do you think? Um, well, well, first of all, it it seems like this this wolf motif seems to be very per- pervasive in Rome. Um, do you know if it was just in Rome, or do you know if it's like all throughout Italy?
1: Um,
0: well, I I think it
1: probably must be fairly. Um, widespread across Italy because the uh, Donna Luca Paleolithica for example um she's from the northern part of of, of Italy um and the Etruscans to uh, and the northeastern pa- uh, part whereas the Etruscans mostly lived on the um the western edge um and more southerly and you find wolves there you also find wolves. Down in Sicily and in Sardinia and various other places. So I think that the wolf had a very strong foothold in in Italy. And Italy is quite a mountainous country as well, uh, and um, it would have been heavily forested back in those days. And so I think that the you know the wolf is um, when you think about the kinds of ecological niches that wolves live in, Italy. Is a very fine example of
0: such a place. Right, right, absolutely. I can, I can see that. Um, well, and then in, you
1: see it in the Etruscan um, uh, archaeological finds as well. So you know,
0: yeah. Well, and you know, and I can't help but think, you know, there have been scholars that have said it was women who invented animal husbandry and agriculture. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know. It just seems like, in a way, it's all sort of part of the puzzle. Um, you know that close connection between women. You know, mm-hmm. women in nature, women in animals. Um, um, well, now you say that Christianity changed the mythic landscape. Have you have you explored that as much as you wanted? Uh, was or was there more that you wanted to say about that than we already have? Well.
1: I think what I, what I, uh, one of the questions I I went to Rome with was how come the sheep won? (laughs) You know, how come um, the sheep, which is uh, a predated animal, um, managed to secure a a higher position, uh, you know, in terms of symbolic position in the society than the wolf, um, who is a predator of sheep. And I think, in the end, it's hard to know why, but I think the thing is that the church got behind marketing the sheep and demonizing the wolf mm. uh and in a um in a city, i mean there are different things that become important, different animals become important uh and I think that the uh the marketing campaign um of the church, which was also interested in seeing people as flocks um
0: mm-hmm.
1: so that they the flock would follow the shepherd, that is Christ, um right. and uh not rebel uh, Yes, these, they wanted you know, followers. They did, they did they didn't want strong
0: yeah. strong um non conformists <laughs> um, you yeah. Know. Whereas
1: the wolves, you know, they travel in packs and they're kind of rebels.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and they yes. were
1: associated also with Artemis, as you said before, uh, and others. And and they they have a fairly independent life in terms of their relationship with people. Whereas she- sheep, um, through domestication, uh, became, you know, more related. To, to people. The other interesting thing I think is that there, there is a tendency among people who look at images of sheep to say that if they have horns, then they're rams. But actually, wild sheep, that is, sheep who, which have not been domesticated, uh, the ewe also has horns. So you can't make that assumption that if you see a horned sheep, that it's definitely a ram. Hmm. And the same well, the
2: city girl didn't know
0: that.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, now, when you uh, did you go to Rome, especially with the mission to uncover, um, you know this this um, you know this wolf motif.
1: Yes, I did. Uh, I I didn't know very much when I went, I and mean, I had I had written half a page uh, for my application for the grant. And I had looked at some material, but I didn't even know that the word lupa meant prostitute when I put in my application. By the time I got there and after I'd studied a bit of Latin, uh, I had learned this. But um, so I knew that there were, there were going to be things that I would find out because, of course, you know, normally I, I work and I don't, I don't have time to spend my days doing research and so forth. So, once that became possible, that I had the time, and i you know I was in this amazing city, I could go to museums and I could read books and the the, the apartment I lived in had a fabulous library as well uh you know it all started to come together so where although I knew what I wanted to look at, I did not know what it was that I would discover,
0: right. Well, it sounds like you had an incredible adventure. How long were you actually able to stay there and do all of this research? Uh, just
1: six months. Yeah. Wow. I could six months go in back row. for Another six months. Mm. Yeah, it was fabulous, and no way I could afford to do that if somebody hadn't given me a place to stay. Yeah,
0: yeah. Well, you know, when we, um, you know, aside from the pickpockets, you know, I mean, the incredible things, you know, we saw. Uh, When we were in Italy, and you mentioned before the politics of museums, and I don't, I don't know Mm. if I'm about to say the same type of thing. When when you say politics of museums, I don't know if this is what you meant. But um, one thing that did stand out for me was when we were in the Naples Museum. um, I went there with the my focus was to find um, sacred sites of Isis. And, of course, they have Uh the wonderful ISIS temple in Pompeii, you know. And all of the artifacts from the ISIS temple in Pompeii had been moved to the Naples Museum. Well, I didn't know mm. that um, they weren't letting anyone see them except people who were making huge contributions to the museum. Now, I understand that they need money, obviously. Mm. I mean, things are crumbling and they need money. But imagine having traveled mm. you know, um, halfway mm. around the world to see these artifacts, and the only thing that stood between them and me was a bulletin board blocking a door of a room that they wouldn't let anybody in unless you had special permission. So I, I got to just tell you a funny story. Um, I was devastated. I mean, I was I was sincerely devastated yes. because here we had gone to Pompeii, and the gates of the Isis temple were locked for the very same reason. They were only letting people mm-hmm. in who were donating huge, huge amounts of money. So I. You know, outside the ISIS temple, I pressed my nose against the gate, looking in from afar. You know, not being able to actually walk into the compound, walk up the steps, stand in the temple that I dreamed of doing. You know, and spent all my money to get there to do. So mm. when we got to the museum, by that part, I, by that point, I said, you know what, I I I am not going to tolerate this. And my husband said, I have an idea. He distracted the guard. (laughs) Remember, there's only a bulletin board blocking the doorway. So my husband Mm -hmm. distracted the guard, took him into another room, asked him some crazy questions to keep him busy, while I dashed into the room, snap, 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 a roll of film, (laughs) in about two minutes, and run out. And then I felt like at least I, you know, at least I saw it, you know. I mean, I know I didn't play by the yep. rules, but I didn't think they were playing by the rules mm. either, you know. Um, no, they're it, not it,
1: playing by the rules. And I, I went to Pompeii just on a kind of half-day tour, uh, and uh, the the terrible thing about that was that the guide, um, he didn't take us at all to the Arsus Temple, and I asked about it. Uh, and uh, the only thing he wanted to show us was the brothel,
0: yeah.
1: Uh and as Mary Beard says in one of her articles about about or her book about Pompeii, she said at most there was one brothel in Pompeii and all they ever want you to see is the brothel. Right. And they won't let you see things like the Isis Temple. I mean you, yeah. this is yeah, the, the, this sensational is part of the stuff. politics of museums. Yes. Or yeah, Or or putting La Donna Lupa Paleolithica in the in the furthest roof room that you can find and not having any signs.
0: <laughs> right, right. Well, you know, it's yeah. the same, um, you know, people like Genevieve Vaughn, um, you know, uh, mm. uh, she, you know, she She yes, lives I, in Italy. It. You know, I wonder, you know, if there were enough women who might write some letters to the museum, maybe she could get a more prominent space. I think, I, I believe it's in, uh, in northern Italy, I want to say oh, the city is escaping me right now, I can't remember. But they they have built a whole uh, attraction around the Venus of Willendorf. Um, I mean, put huge Mm. money into an incredible display and have made her center stage, you know, maybe with, um, mm. you know, with a little bit of encouragement, they could do the same thing with Donna Lupa, Peli, uh, Lithica. <laughs> Lithica. Yeah, well, Lithica.
1: Well, you know, st- instead of just letting the people who make don big donations into the museum, they could let lots of people who might just pay a couple of euros
0: extra to see that and yeah. make
1: just as much money.
0: Yes. Yes, well, and, you know, another thing we found was when I said the places weren't marked real well, you know, the major sites, of course, were marked, but I went there looking Mm. for ISIS sites, so I had Mm. done an incredible Mm. amount of research about, well, there's the remains of a temple here and the remains of a temple there, but when you get to the Palatine Hill or wherever it is you're going, things (laughs) like that aren't really marked. You know, you see so many things just strewn out there, and there's not one sign on anything. So I, I found it mm. a bit frustrating. You know, I mean, the food was mm. delicious. Mm. We saw glorious things, but um, you know, th- there was you know there there was a bit of frustration. You know, but um, mm. that's not to mm. say I wouldn't go back. <laughs> no, no, no. no. So um, so so let's um, let's well you know you also have this poem uh, you really um, uh, uh, it uh it's tantalizing I want to, I want you to read your poem they call women monsters um, it, 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 but I I wonder if uh, we should read that before or after we talk about feminism in Australia
1: well I think it's a nice segue into talking about feminism so how about I read it now okay. Okay, this is a poem called They Call Women Monsters and it starts with a quote from Robin Morgan's book, Monster, which is simply, I am a monster. Breasts lined in rows, four rows of two like the bitch she is. Women's breasts above a gullimufri of breasts. Wings beat to their own rhythm." that soaring eagle soul talons catch the child spirit who cannot live claws morph eagle to lion they tear flesh tread the earth softly roar in cub protection big enough to tear you apart this tail muscled its ends a frill of hair will swipe you her eyes do not sleep Her mane is unkempt. Under the ocean's waves, another monster captures pilgrims, dives deep, spits Jonah from her mouth, renouncing her depths. And of course, I'm referring... Oh, sorry, it goes on another two stanzas. A memory of Madonna of the Harpies, winged angels clasp her calves, harpies support her feet. Medusa... Gorgon, Leviathan, Dragon, Griffin, Grendel, Echidna, Hydra, Striga, Lamia, Charybdis, Scylla, Amphisbaena, Sphinx. And those are all the names of monsters. And a lot of these monsters, certainly the ones in Rome, have the head of a woman. Uh, they have rows of double breasts, like three or four rows of double breasts, which is like the wolf part then you have the the feet which are normally either that of a wolf or a lion and then you have this extraordinary tail um like a lion's tail and then the wings so you have all these different animals um thrown together in the one image and i when you know, when i read robin morgan's poem um not book monster when i uh, was about 1973 uh I was really blown away by it and I still, you know, think of it and I think what an extraordinary work that is and what how she kind of drilled down really deeply into that kind of memory of women being turned into monsters
0: yeah or the being misogyny
1: as monsters
0: yeah the mm, misogyny yes. and the sexism and the demonizing of um, woman, and um, you know, I, I I know there's all sorts of theories, but you you really ha- have to wonder what could have caused such hatred, such vilification. I mean, you know, could it simply have been, um, you know, women were once revered, and you know, men were envious of that that standing, you know um i don't know mm. you must have thoughts uh,
1: i think fear is is a big part of it I mean, as as margaret atwood once pointed out um women fear being killed and men fear being laughed at by a woman
0: mm. well and said. i
1: think that also picks up something you know it is there's a, there's in there that, uh, in in the misogyny some of it is fear, and some of it is just plain hatred, yeah. <laughs> and not never really being able to get outside your own experience, because men's experience is reflected back at them all the time, whereas as women, our experience is 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 rarely reflected back to us, and, unless we have conversations like we're having now.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, and and I I I think the the fear. You know the fear that that breeds hatred. You know, it, since President Obama has been on the scene, I mean, I, I mean, even mm. though I grew up in the South, which was rampant with racism, I don't think I have seen so, such ugliness since he's really mm. taken office. Mm. You know, and I think yeah. the isms, whether we're talking about sexism or racism. Um, it's mm. it's it's all there, and you know, and I think when Hillary Clinton starts to run for president, I think the sexism is just going to be out of control, like the racism yes. uh, has has been yes. here in the United States. Um yeah. So yeah. so what so what do you what do you think the status of feminism is, is in Australia? Is it suffering there too, like it is in so many other places?
1: Yes, because we're we're not helped by our current government, which is clearly anti feminist. Um and the the other thing is that the media uh it it what it what it does is it, it takes some story uh and co opts it and then it distorts whatever it is about fe- that feminists might have said. It it turns it on its head and then it tries to sell it back to us as a story about feminism, but it there's no resemblance to what i understand as feminism um right. and the we're actually public is publishing a book on the um right just now about the massacre of women uh in um in montreal on the 6th of december in 1989 and the book is called i hate feminists and we're doing a co-edition with a canadian publisher fernwood um and it's the same in that the way in which the media responded to the deaths of those 14 women was to then turn it around uh, and, and instead of um, recognising that 14 young women had been killed... Um, A a movie was made in 2009 and the main story in that movie became the story of a young man who committed suicide because he wasn't... He was um, pushed out of the room uh, before the, uh, the killer killed the women and he felt terrible guilt. But then the main story becomes his story instead of the story of the 14 women who were killed. Right. And so... And then the feminists get blamed by saying that they're talking you know when when feminists talk about about this story, you know they're they're hating men, but right. actually it's the men who have killed the women <laughs> right and well and right now in Australia, we have one woman a week who is killed by either their partner or their ex partner and this is now starting to get some media. And remember we have a, a relatively small population here of around the same population as say California, around twenty two, three million, something like that. Right. So right. one
0: woman a week. Mm. That's a lie. Um well and you know we were starting lie. we were starting to get some traction about domestic violence because of, you know, how prevalent it is in the NFL. And but then the then the Ebola story comes along and it gets mm, you know mm. swept beneath the rug. But I did a show recently, mm. not that long ago, uh, sometime in the last month or six weeks or something, about why the media never wants to name the perpetrator when a woman is killed, mm. that you know by a man, mm. you know, and and especially if you know there's some, um, you know, some some. Sexist or misogynist slant. You do, the, the media never says what's wrong with men for their violent mm. nature. They'll say Mm-mm. what's wrong with our culture, you know, rather mm. than actually name the perpetrator. You know, and and I, I, I and I'm frustrated even with male women journalists who play the same game. Mm. And I don't yes. know whether they yes. play that game because well they don't want to be labeled the angry feminist. But mm, you know, mm. if if women are being killed and they're in their 99.9 percent of the time being killed by men, then what's wrong with saying the men are doing it? <laughs> we
1: have we have actually just had an example of the man who heads up the defence forces in Australia, who has um, spoken out and said. That it is men who are the problem, and masculinity is part of the problem. And he, he just said this yesterday. I saw it on TV, so I thought, oh, here's somebody who's actually describing what's happening in reality. So I don't know whether that's the beginning of a change or it's something that will be quickly forgotten.
0: Well, we'll see. You know, I, at least at least it's being <coughs> talked about. Uh, I, I heard someone yes. on the news recently just say testosterone. Is one of the worst elements in the world, and 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 you know, and, and I I look, I just got finished saying I've been married to a wonderful man for 30 years. I am not man bashing, <laughs> you know, because no. there are awful awful women out there, and there are good 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 men who are our allies mm-hmm. and male male feminists mm-hmm. fighting this fight, but these you know these crazy misogynists are the ones. Uh, you know who won't vote mm-hmm. for equal pay who won't fund mm-hmm. domestic violence mm-hmm. programs you know who who just you know who who you know we have crazy Republicans here who actually are in yeah. Congress and say stuff like, "Well, when a woman's raped, how do we know it's really rape because she has a mechanism in her body where if it's really uh-huh. rape, she won't get pregnant I mean. Can you imagine? Mm. These are men in office that are making laws that affect I know. people. Mm. <laughs> yes, and, and
1: particularly women. Yeah. Uh, but yes, I know, it, it is really um, outrageous. And uh, if it were being said about any other group of people, um, there would be an outrage um, about it. And rightly so. And rightly yeah. so. Um, Well, you
0: know, maybe we can turn a corner when Hillary starts to run for president. You know, maybe there can really be some dialogue that um, educates Mm -hmm. and raises awareness, and people will start to understand that feminism is just about equality for everybody. It's not about turning the tables and making men, you know, exploiting men the way women have always been exploited and abused.
1: Unfortunately, when Julia Gillard was the Prime Minister of Australia, the sexism got worse, not because she was terrible, she was actually very good, but because the hatred just
0: rose and terrible
1: things were said about her, very unfair
0: things. Um, Mm. Let me ask you, I don't know if you have an opinion on this and I don't know a lot about it yet myself, but I saw Scotland now, the three parties that run the country, they're all run by, by the... Uh, you know, the po- three political parties that run Scotland are now all headed by women. Um, do you know anything about that? Is that hopeful? Or are they conservative or liberal, or do you know? Well, I
1: think it's hopeful if um, you've got women at the top of three parties and maybe not just at the top of one party. Uh, but, of course, you don't really know what's going to come of that, and I must say I'm not really up with contemporary Scottish politics other than knowing a lot about the um, the vote
0: um uh, which didn't happen
1: um i mean they didn't go
0: for independence they didn't go for independence um, from england yeah
1: <laughs> no i thought
0: they would um, but
1: i thought they would too but yeah, it it'll, it'll be really interesting to to watch scotland and and see what difference it makes will it make the sort of difference that it made in iceland to have Uh, not just women, but feminists in high positions in the country. Um, and that did, it has made a difference in, uh, in Iceland. And I think, I I think it's important to say it's not just the fact of being a woman. Of course, we know about Margaret Thatcher. Uh, it's actually about whether the parties are run by feminists. That is, and or women who have some kind of, um, sense of, how feminism has maybe contributed to their ability to get where they have and not deny uh, its role.
0: Uh, Yeah, the Piddly Bishop, our foreign minister. (laughs) Um, I don't know who she is. Is she a feminist?
1: Um, She refuses to call herself a feminist, which is okay by me because I don't think she is one. But she was recently at the UN. She was... um, Australia um had the presidency of the security council for 2 years and she's had quite a role to play there in the last
0: um, several months so okay yeah. and and um you may just, have seen her on tv um in iceland i didn't know iceland was run by feminists um is there any just quickly is there anything you can say about how they have improved things
1: Uh, Well, one of the things that I remember, and this is a long time ago, back in the 70s, was that they had a 24... All the women in the country had a 24-hour strike. That meant that they didn't do any housework, they didn't do any caring work, they didn't do any standard work, they didn't do any work at all for 24 hours. (laughs) And it showed... Um, just how important they were to the economy and to the running, the smooth running of the country. Uh, And there have been a couple of um, prime ministers who've been feminists. I don't recall their names. And I think that that's made um, Iceland into a different country than what it would have been if it had been run by somebody like our current prime minister.
0: Right, right.
1: Decidedly anti-feminist.
0: Yes, yes, yes. Well, thank you for that. That's something I might uh, delve into a little bit more um, because I somehow that escaped me. Well, Susan, um, I, I, you know, I know we sort of went far afield from your book, uh, Luba and the Lamb. Um, so let's, you know, sort of get back to your work. Is there anything I didn't think to ask you about, uh, either with that book or uh, one of your others? Uh, you know, anything you'd like to say that I haven't thought to ask you?
1: No, I think that we've pretty much covered the things that I wanted to talk about. Um, Perhaps the other thing is to say that although there's all this rape and torture and various things going on in the book, it does finish with an optimistic ending because at the end of the the book, um, former Empress Livia has a party and and she invites women from all times and all places to come to this party. And so they start to... they. they start to talk to one another and they start to dance and they have rituals and eventually a character called Eleonora Daborea who's from Sardinia this amazing woman um in the um fifteenth century who was had such a knowledge of, of legal she comes into the party and she and Mary Wollstonecraft get together and they draw up a declaration and you know, so um It finishes on on a very um, up note because the the first part of the book is a bit, some bits of it, you know, I mean, where I'm documenting what's happened to women through the ages. You feel a bit down at times. Um, But nevertheless, I think it is important that we have a sense of optimism for the future, a sort of Mm long-term optimism, uh, and that we can change. People are capable of change.
0: And you know i think I think we are i think we are winning the battle. I mean, I know some days it doesn't seem like we are, but uh I really do think we are uh i and 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 even though some young women here in the United States are resisting feminism, there are equal numbers of young women who are coming out um in favor of it. I never can remember the Harry Potter girl's name, but she just you know gave a talk at the u n about uh feminism mm-hmm. and um yeah. and, you know about the disinformation you know and and you know reclaiming mm-hmm. the word mm-hmm. and uh so I, I i think you know some it might be one step forward, two steps back, but I think you
3: mm-hmm. know what they mm-hmm. say
0: the arc of history bends uh you know it, it, toward the progressive or toward the liberal, so um mm-hmm. you know I, mm-hmm. we we just have to be tenacious <laughs> yes, um, so, yes. and
1: I couldn't help but bring. Several wolves together. So I have the wolves, and I have Virginia Wolf and Krista Wolf and Anna Wolf from Doris Lessing's The Golden Notebook, and they all get together at the party. <laughs> so, <laughs> very, you know, very, it's, uh,
0: you know, that was that was that was uh, very, um, you know, whipped, witty. Um, you know that 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 was a, a cool thing to do. Um, hmm. So, Susan, how how would listeners find out more about your work and your books and uh, how can they reach um, you? Well, they can,
1: they can in, in North America, um, Luper and Lamb and other spin titles can be bought from ipg.book.com and if they put my name into the search engine, all the different books will come up or they can put Luper and Lamb into the search, search engine on that um that particular site, and I also have a blog uh, called the uh, Susan's Lambda Wolf blog, and uh, you can find uh, things that I've written about the poems while I was writing them. While I was writing the book, I was also writing blogs, and some of my thinking is there.
0: Okay, and for people, uh, for my can listeners, me on who, Facebook, uh, just under uh, Susan Hawthorne. Yes, is, is is it that's how you're on Facebook with your name?
1: That's correct. Yes. And
0: okay. for listeners who are not in North America, um, what if they're in um, if they're you know they're in Europe or?
1: Oh, well, they can go to spinifexpress.com.au, Uh and spinifex is S-P-I-N-I-F-E-X, and so it's all one word, spinifexpress and uh, don't forget the AU on the end for Australia.
0: Okay, well, Susan, thank you so much uh, for being on the show. Uh, you are always welcome back anytime. So keep me posted on what you're doing, and um, thank you for uh, your work out there in the world. Thank you very much. It's been a great pleasure to talk with you again. And you know, I don't think I'll ever look at the wolf the same again. <laughs> It'll have new good. meaning now. <laughs> thank you, Susan. Very good.
1: <laughs> All right. Good night.
0: Well, um, as I promised, uh, we are going to have some other things I think listeners will be interested in. But first, um, I thought you might like to hear a funny little song from Celia called Spooning and Forking from her Naughty in Pink album. And uh, then I'll be back to share some of the other stuff I told you about at the top of the hour. So um, enjoy. Put a smile on your
3: face. La, la, la. La la this is the Trestle Book Fairy, and this is what I learned this week. I learned how to stay in a long-term loving relationship forever. Do you want to know how? Yeah, I thought so. Okay, well, you see, the secret lies in... The kitchen utensils drawer. Yeah! I learned that if two people are very fond of each other, then they might get together at the end of the night and spoon each other. <laughs> and, oh, if two people love each other very much, then they might get together at the end of the night and fork each other. Oh, But if two people fall out of love, it is very likely that they could knife each other at any time of the day or night. So the secret to not killing your partner is to have ample helpings of spoonings and forkings on a regular basis. This will prevent any knifings from happening. I I haven't figured out what to do with the turkey baster yet, but when I do uh I'll let you know. <laughs> okay, I'm the Book fairy, and that is what I learned this week. But, um, uh, do me a favor and don't tell Celia that I know about forking. <laughs> okay, bye-bye. La, 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 la.
0: Well, that was Celia from her Naughty and Pink album, and she's got some other cute stuff, uh, Tickle Break, The Cell Phone, Phoebe's Jesus, My Pussy, um, and uh, I'm going to try to play some of those a little bit more often. And um, I uh, promised the story of my grandmother and the bootlegger. Well, I should probably write this up, I guess, and maybe title it Bertha and the Bootlegger. That was my, gra- my uh, grandma's name. That's a catchy title, don't you think, Bertha and the Bootlegger? Well, first you have to understand that Bertha was born in the early 1900s. She was the only daughter, and the family had seven sons, so she didn't get to go to school. She was tasked with staying home and helping her mother take care of that big family. That was the plight of women in those days, unfortunately. She, I guess you could say she's the typical barefoot and pregnant story, the little woman blogs and the home story. Well, Bertha met this bootlegger uh, who was about 15 years older than her when she was in her teens. Now, I keep calling him the bootlegger because you know what? That's what Grandma called him. Um, she never told me his name. Isn't that strange? Well, Bertha and the bootlegger, they eventually married. Now, you might have gotten the hint that Bertha wasn't schooled in women's mysteries or the birds and the bees. That, too, was the plight of women. It didn't help. Uh, She was living in the Bible Belt of the South. And as I said last week, she truly believed uh, stuff like a woman couldn't go swimming during her menses because the blood would go to her head and kill her. Well, Bertha was a young woman. You know, she was a, a girl, really. I don't think she was even 20 when she married uh, the bootlegger, who was 15 years older than her. Uh, Bertha also didn't know exactly how babies grew within the mother's womb. Well, it um, wasn't long after Bertha and the bootlegger got married, Bertha finds she's pregnant. And you see, my bootlegger granddaddy, shrewd devil that he was, told his young bride that in order for the baby to grow, you know, its arms, its legs, its fingers, all the body parts of the baby, that they had to have sex. Yes, he had her convinced that each time they came together in sexual union, whatever you want to call it, each time they hooked up, they created another part of the baby's body. Well, how do we know that's what he told her? Well, the story is legend in our family, and, and you have my permission to repeat it because you know it teaches the importance of women's uh, of how important women's empowerment is, of how important it is to educate women, of feminism. Well, we know um, that that's what Bertha believed um, that you know they had to hook up. Uh, in order to create each part of the baby's body because Bertha's mother, my great-grandmother, caught Bertha crying one night after granddaddy bootlegger got arrested and was in jail for bootlegging. Yes, this was the time of prohibition. Well, Bertha was crying because she was consumed with worry that the baby growing inside her would not continue to grow and be born without granddaddy being there every night having sex with her creating that little child inside her womb. Pretty slick he was, don't you think? Well, great-grandma finally had that long-overdue talk with Bertha and set her straight. Funny family story, but also too sad. Knowledge is power, women. Uplift and educate yourself and your sons and your daughters. Of Of course, You know how babies are born, but you also have to know a lot more these days, including how patriarchy has shaped our culture and how we do have an alternative to all the exploitation, all the discrimination, all the domination. We have an alternative in the ideals of the sacred feminine. Okay, well, it's time for a shameless plug. But stay with me for my blessings come from the craziest places. I think you'll want to hear that, uh, which is uh, coming uh, right after. Uh, I just wanted to share a quote from uh, my book, Goddess Calling. Uh, Let's see, which one shall it be? Um, Oh, I think I'll do the one, Our Weapons Are Many. Our weapons are many and we need them all because patriarchy will not just roll over and die because we will it, pray for it, or think positive thoughts. Our books of knowledge are our weapons because knowledge is power. Has not patriarchy tried their best to keep knowledge of goddess and women's natural leadership and spiritual authority from us? Intuition is our weapon. Women intuitively know how to birth life, nurture, and multitask. They are the glue keeping homes, businesses, and organizations going. If women stopped serving the status quo, if they stopped volunteering tomorrow, if they stopped accepting less than equal pay, how many would collapse? Our voice is also our weapon. Has patriarchy not tried to make us content and satisfied being subservient and our power diminished? We must all find our sacred rage and our sacred roar and let our wisdom and intellect reverberate out across the ethers to be heard by all. Our written word is our weapon, for the pen can be mightier than the sword. Each of you sitting here has changed her life, not at the point of a dagger, but because of the information you have no doubt been taught. Our tenacity and strength are our weapons, Our weapons are also our innate ability to intuit, to love, and nurture, to support. Our weapon is the wisdom we embody and the power of the life-affirming creatrix. While patriarchy is the obsolete and forceful destroyer, we must remember who we are. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. So... Uh, a special thanks goes out to Sarah. What a great email you sent me, Sarah and I owe you a reply, and you will have it soon and to lean uh, or she might pronounce it Lena, for sending me that wonderful meditation. Thank you. Yes, you are the gas in my tank tank uh, that keeps me going. Thank you for sharing uh, how much the show means to you. It really does make a difference to me it's you know it 's not easy doing a show every week um, for eight years even though I enjoy it. And I have to remind you, it's not free. I actually pay for the airtime to raise awareness, to teach, give others a platform to share their sacred wisdom. But I love doing it, and I will keep doing it as long as I can. But if you'd like, you can help too. If you'd like to support my work in this show, you can do one of uh, one or more of several things. Go to my website at KarenTate.com. Uh, once you're there, you can go to the Goddess store page, scroll all the way down to the bottom. You can make a donation to the show or order one of my books. Uh, from me is best if you're in the USA, um, because if you're not in the USA, it costs too much to mail it. Um, and the second alternative would be to get it from a local bookstore to help keep them in business, because you know that monopoly called Amazon is uh, putting small business owners out of business. Use Amazon only if you have to, um, not just because they're a monopoly, but Amazon funds conservative causes that aren't always in the best interest of feminism or the 99%, which I suspect uh, you are, and I know I certainly am. Amazon takes a huge chunk of the profits, uh, I'm told 70%, leaving the other 30% for the author and the publisher to split, split. And oftentimes the author doesn't have Uh, a 50% uh, cut with the publisher. So the author who's written the book gets the least for their work. So uh, the deck might be stacked, but we don't have to play the game. We have to remember that. So, um, I wanted to share with you uh, something I've written for the holidays, and um, I delivered this at the Goddess Temple last Sunday, because part of of the service, when we renewed our vows, I was actually the guest minister, and the topic of the day, because of Thanksgiving being this week, was our blessings, and um, I like to think of this as our blessings uh, can be found in the craziest of places, so... Uh, I hope you enjoy this. It's not very long, and I think it will be meaningful. I know sometimes it doesn't always feel like it, but we are so lucky. We have so many blessings, and none of them have to do with money, though that's what our culture would have us believe is one of the things that counts most. But truly, does having wealth bring us love or health? No, certainly not. Does having money help us grow as better human beings? Not always. Sometimes I think not having wealth is more of a blessing because out of necessity, we have to learn to connect and interact with, uh, with each other because we depend on each other so much more. So I'm here today with Thanksgiving a few days away to suggest we peer into the window of our life as if we were standing before a department store window. Take stock And I'll bet you'll marvel at all there is inside the store that is our life or your life. Because I think sometimes there's so much clutter in there, we stop seeing all the blessings we actually have. And it looks different for each of us. Just as every storefront we walk past in the mall has different and wonderful things inside, our blessings are all so diverse as well. But there are blessings we all have in common, too. We are so blessed here in California, where I delivered this, to live in a blue state and not be at risk of vaginal probes, personhood amendments, and loss of control of our reproductive health. We are so blessed to have this brick-and-mortar goddess temple where we can gather to express the oldest religion on the planet without fear. We are so lucky to have such a brave, dedicated, and talented community community, like so many of you here, including Ava Park and the women and men who keep the goddess temple of Orange County thriving. We're so lucky for the Internet and clean water and advanced medicine. It's easy to forget everyone doesn't have that. We're blessed we aren't forced to kill our girl children at birth because we can't afford their dowry later in life. We're blessed because we can vote, although too many of us don't. We can disobey male authority without paying a price, but we forget so many of these things. We're human, and we kind of take them for granted sometimes. But as you put your nose on the glass of your own storefront, and I hope you will, to peruse all the goodness inside, I hope you'll also be courageous enough to lift the lid of your challenges, disappointments, and pain, because I'll bet there are blessings there, too. I know Roy's heart attack made him start to take his health more seriously. That was a blessing. My mother's death helped me deepen my ability to forgive That was a blessing. And sometimes it's the bullies in our life that teaches us the most about who we are and what we're made of. I know those bullies were a blessing. And don't overlook the little blessings that make us smile. See the blessing in the brave little hummingbird at the bird feeder, the beautiful and perfect roses in the garden, or the smell of bacon frying in the morning. Myself, I cherish that fleeting moment between being asleep and fully awake, feeling the cool sheets in the dim light of morning. Maybe your cat is sleeping next to you and you feel the softness of her fur as you hear the alarm go off, and maybe there's even beautiful music on the radio. Don't overlook either sweet memories of your, or your feisty friends who challenge your thinking and help you grow. I know I feel blessed, and Roy does too, that so many of our friends drove all the way to the goddess temple to be a part of our vow renewal ceremony. Those people were our blessings, and we loved them. So this week, and as often as you can, try to take inventory of your blessings like a good shopkeeper so you know the value of all the assets in the store of your life. Be sure you look in all the nooks and crannies. We can really find the blessings in the craziest and most unexpected of places, as I was reminded recently. You see, this scholar had blown me off because he saw me as one of these disillusioned advocates of Maria Gambuda's theories. But, instead of just blowing him off, we talked and talked and to my surprise, he's offered me a private showing of the valuable artifacts in his goddess collection. Dare I hold out hope that crack in the door will swing wide enough for him to fully embrace Kim Buddhist herstory? Well, who knows? We shall see. So, think about that next, in the next few days, when maybe your Uncle George, who parrots Fox News, is talking crazy around the Thanksgiving dinner table as he goes on and on setting your hair on fire this week, making you choke maybe on the green bean casserole. Maybe he's helping you grow patience and tolerance. Who knows? You might even find a kernel of truth in all the crazy that can lead you both toward bridging the gap. You know, we really can find blessings in the craziest of places, sometimes. So, um, something else from Goddess Calling. The Dalai Lama said it would be Western women who would rescue the world. Might it actually be goddess theology? That's uh, some of uh, my readers, uh, that's one of the favorite quotes from Goddess Calling. Uh, Maybe it's yours, too. So, We're going to hear from Joe Carson here uh, and uh, Dancing with Gaia in just a minute. And I want to thank Joe for helping me keep Voices of the Sacred Feminine on the air. Uh, But stay with me because uh, when we come back, uh, I'm going to tell you about the trial in Egypt about female genital mutilation. But first, a word from Joe Carson.
2: Most people's psychic experiences are dreaming, and it's thought that it's the pineal gland making this chemical that does it. Now this was the core finding, the core finding that the pineal gland makes the hallucinogen, we all hallucinate, we all go into a state of consciousness that for me is the collective unconscious, this psychic state is the collective unconscious which is that consciousness of the planet, what's called the chthonic mind, the mind of the earth, because all peoples all races all tribes from the past right around the world have myths and legends which use symbols and archetypes which are identical identical every human being experiences this state of consciousness which is the dream mind that symbolic archetypal exemplified by fairy tales or the creation myths and legends of all the different peoples. The symbols of them are the same, and to me that is the consciousness of the earth speaking to us.
0: Well, uh, that was... Um some, um, some footage, uh, a cut from uh, Joe Carson's film, Dancing with Gaia. Uh, Dancing with Gaia explores the connections between Earth energy, sacred sexuality, and the goddess as Gaia. It features 15 visionaries who give us tools to feel the life of the planet within ourselves. The DVD comes with a 45-page mini-book and costs just $20. You can get your own copy at DancingWithGaia.com might want to think about it as a stocking stuffer for uh, someone you love or for yourself for the holidays. Also, don't forget uh, Goddess Calling or my new book out, uh, Voices of the Sacred Feminine, the anthology based on this radio show. Um, you know, Ferguson, uh is in the news, and um, I so certainly don't condone the violence. I think these people who uh, have... Um, damaged all the property with the fires and the looting, they aren't helping their cause at all. They really are not helping their cause, even if they may be justified in their complaints, even if they're justified in their frustration. And um, I guess I see oppressed people as I see the black community, as I see the brown-skinned people as well. I see them as people women should be in solidarity with. I think all the people who are oppressed, who are oppressed, or exploited, or demonized, or marginalized under patriarchy, whether that be gays, or immigrants, or black-skinned people, or brown-skinned people, or women, I really do think we should find a way to be in solidarity. Because, you know, there really are more of them, and more of us sorry there're more of us than them if we stood shoulder to shoulder in peaceful resistance and how could we not change the world if we didn't divide um if we didn't separate if we were a united front if we were in unity if we were one if we saw our interconnection even if it was in the institutionalized discrimination we all endure, we should be in solidarity. Because if all of us were standing shoulder to shoulder, how could we not change the world? Seriously, think about that. Think about that. Well, um, I promised that I was going to tell you about um, a, you know, a not-so-happy story. Uh, This was in The Guardian um, a few days ago, and I didn't get a chance to share it with you before now. Uh, I also have the whole story on my Facebook page if you want to go there and scroll down. But um, the article says, uh, Women's Rights and Gender Equality in Focus in Egypt, and apparently Egypt had its first female genital mutilation trial. And uh, there was a lot of hope that uh, this would end in a way that would discourage female genital mutilation, but it did not. The doctor who performed the mutilation and the father of the girl um, who brought her to the doctor to be mutilated, neither of them faced any charges when the girl died during the procedure. They were both acquitted, which dashed hopes for a nationwide crackdown. I mean, seriously, we know women and aunties, you know, we hear about it in Africa all the time. You know, they take their daughters to these rituals where they're, um, you know, where, where they're mutilated with a sharp shell. I mean, they're just as bad as this, um, you know, as this father who took his his four-year-old little girl, I think she was, um, No, I'm sorry, 12-year-old little girl took her to this doctor to be mutilated. You know, and if people try to say that, um, you know, this is just a minor little cut, that it's the equivalent to male circumcision, please don't believe that. Please, if you don't know what female genital mutilation is, or it's more commonly called FGM, please look it up. Go to Amnesty International sites or... Uh, you know, uh, women's sites that talk about it and see how bad this is. And uh, I think you will realize then just how important it is that we stop this. And, you know, this does happen. Uh, In Europe, it happens in the United States because as people travel to Western countries, they bring their traditions with them. And while it might be against the law, it's done underground. Oftentimes, girls are sent back to uh, the country of their family's birth to get it done. If they can't get it done in Europe or the United States, read about female genital mutilation, and you'll see uh, what an insidious, horrible thing this is. I mean the doctor said or, or the or the dad said things like um, uh you know the his accusers were on drugs and uh you know it he, he justified doing what he did the little girl by saying they're letting the Palestinians be slaughtered, uh why are they coming after him? I mean, just just crazy uh crazy stuff. Um So anyway, um, you know, the activists are not giving up in Egypt. Uh, They are going to, um, you know, continue to fight, uh, you know, for women that, um, you know, this doesn't continue. But, uh, you know, unfortunately, uh, you know, it's easy to find doctors who will operate on girls for about 200 Egyptian pounds. And... um, you know that's that's nothing. They uh, some of the comments when people were interviewed, they said stuff like, "We circumcise all our children." They say it's good for our girls. Uh, that was a 40 year old housewife. Uh, t- you know that's what uh, she told the Guardian. Um, she said the law won't stop anything. Uh, anything the villagers will carry on. Our grandfathers did it, and so shall we. Um, the 65 year old farmer. Uh, who didn't even realize that it had been banned because it had been, you know, continuing to go on anyway, said, all the girls get circumcised. Is that not what's supposed to happen? Our two daughters are circumcised. They're married, and when they have daughters, we'll have them circumcised as well. You know, they call it circumcision, but it's mutilation. You know, um, saying it's circumcision is just a sanitized um, label, that they're putting it on putting on it, it's mutilation, please go look it up, and I know it's it it might be hard to look at, but find some pictures um, read about it, read it how it doesn't just thwart a woman from having sexual pleasure, but read about all the health ramifications you know read about what it's like for her to have um uh you know have you know intercourse for the first time and uh, all, all the things she suffers, suffers. And, you know, I can't help but think that when we talk about goddess spirituality, we say all acts of pleasure or her rituals. Well, I don't think we were given our bodies and the pleasures that our bodies give us to suffer the way some women are made to suffer. Um, it, it's really, you know, it, it's really horrendous. So please look it up if you don't know about it. Um, and let's see, I also wanted to say I, I have some great news. Uh, my co-leader uh, on the sacred tour to Turkey, Dr. James Rietveld, well, he's announcing uh, just this week uh, his new book on Artemis is available now. You can go look for it on Amazon. It's cheaper on Kindle. Um, it's Well, isn't that always the case? Uh, but in this case, the book is about $60, but on Kindle it's 28 Uh, The book is titled Artemis of the Ephesians, Her Mystery, Magic, and Sacred Landscape. And yes, uh, it is a decade in the making, and yes, it includes never-before-published information on uh, Artemis in Turkey, and yes, we are trying to get the newly discovered Temple of Artemis on our uh, sacred sites itinerary because it is along our route. So yeah, I sort of said a lot in there, um, uh, which means yes, they have discovered a new Temple of Artemis, and yes, his book is out, and yes, uh, there is never before published information in it. So if this is the first time you've heard of it, I'm co-leading with Dr. James Reitfeldt, my good friend, uh, a Sacred Sites of Turkey tour in May of next year. It's a wonderful opportunity if you're a goddess advocate wanting to worship on the sacred ground of the ancient mother because we'll be doing some mini rituals out there because we usually have the sites all to ourselves because everybody's busy visiting the Christian sites, uh, or if you're a history buff as well. We'll satisfy that interest, too, as Dr. Rietveld is not just an archaeologist but a history and religion scholar. And, yes, we're going to sacred sites in the land that was once called Anatolia, land of the nourishing mothers. Uh, Anna uh, is the word for mother. Uh, Dr. Rietveld is one of the foremost American authorities on Artemis of Ephesus, Uh, And we're only going to be taking about 20 women and men on the journey, so the experience will be very personal, very well informed, and we'll be at different sacred sites of goddess every day. Uh, And as I said, where tourists rarely tread, uh, so we'll have private time to absorb the sacred energies and the essences of our sacred sites. Um, They're dedicated to Kabeli, Demeter, Artemis, Kubaba, Mary, Isis, Aphrodite, Hikate. Hikate's only standing temple is in Lagina, Turkey, and that's on our itinerary. Also, great museums, which shouldn't be missed, wonderful shopping, uh, whirling dervishes, Turkish baths, fresh pomegranate juice from sidewalk vendors. Um, This will truly be a journey of a lifetime. So if you're interested... Uh, please um, think about it quickly. Like I said, we're only taking 20 people, uh, and Turkey isn't yet on the euro. So once you're there, your money stretches rather nicely. You can find out more about the trip at my website, uh, or you can go to my Facebook page. There's a, a Facebook event also um published there, and on the Facebook event, if you scroll down, I have a link to a little YouTube video of a past trip to Turkey, and um, I really love the scene when we're at the Temple of Artemis, which was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, by the way, and we're cutting open this pomegranate on her sacred stones, and it truly looks as if it's her sacred blood. Uh, dripping on the stones, is such a powerful, powerful uh, uh, video clip. Um, Anyway, take a look at it. Even if you're not interested in taking the trip, look at the video. So um, I think that will about do it uh, for tonight, uh, my dear listeners. Um, Two quotes I will leave you with before uh, I play the closing music. The first is from Paulo Freire. He said, Washing one's hands of the conflict between the powerful and the powerless means to side with the powerful, not to be neutral. That's very important. Think about that. And then Cornell West, Ph.D., said, Justice is love made public. I like both of those. Okay, so... I think that will about do it for tonight. Um, I will not be with you next, uh, next Wednesday. I am going to be taking that Wednesday off, but I will be with you the following Wednesday. Uh, there is lots of great stuff in the archives that you can avail yourself of. And remember, I love hearing from you, so please email me. Uh, send me good stuff you want me to share with listeners. Uh, tell me what you like about the show. Tell me if you have any suggestions. Um, but most of all, please keep listening. Hit the follow button so you know what wonderful guests are going to be on the show each week. Uh, become a part of the sacred Voices of the Sacred Feminine Family. Uh, please check out my website, KarenTate.com. Go to my Facebook page. You can follow me on Twitter as well. Um, I have to admit, I don't follow Twitter that much. So if you want to reach me, don't send me a tweet. I might not see it. It's better to send me an email or send me a private Facebook message. So uh, let's see how we shall say goodbye tonight. I don't know. I'm kind of in the mood for Celia's funny, naughty little stuff. Uh, Let me see if I can find something interesting that I mentioned uh earlier uh, okay, how about this? I remember it's naughty, but that's okay. uh I think we're gonna go uh with Phoebe's Jesus uh just in case any of my dear listeners are gonna have to be at their right wing conservative um relatives uh dinner table, you know maybe this will cheer you up, okay, This is Celia's. Phoebe's Jesus from her Naughty and Pink album. I will see you soon. Keep in touch. Enjoy.
3: Hello, I'm the Trestlefoot Fairy, and this song is dedicated to my Aunt Phoebe, who is a very nice Christian, except she really isn't very nice. Don't mess with Phoebe's Jesus, she gets flustered easily. But if you've got a friend in Jesus, then you can befriend Phoebe. But if you breathe the word of goddess or say Buddha is the best She grows horns, her eyes turn red, and she will fight you to the death But Phoebe's Jesus is all good, and if you dare to disagree Phoebe's Jesus will calm down and he will smack the outside the head But I am so confused, cause I thought Jesus was this dude Who taught love and tolerance, unconditional Na 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 boo boo, na 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 boo boo don't mess with Phoebe's Jesus Cause he is the son of God He is your savior, he's your lord Who doesn't say so should be shot And you know she really means it By the furrow in her brow If you speak his name in vain You will see Phoebe have a cow But Phoebe's Jesus is all good And if you dare to disagree Phoebe's Jesus will come down And he will smack Outside the head, but I am so confused Cause I thought Jesus was this dude Who taught love and tolerance Unconditional Na-na-na-na-boo-boo na 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 boo na 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 do not mess with Phoebe's Jesus Cause it really makes her mad And to know your soul is bound for hell It makes her oh so sad from pearly tower she will pray for you lamenting your descent and after five hearty hail mary she will kick you in the head i am so confused how the king of the jews got to be so many different things to so many different people personally About you in the local papers. But Phoebe's Jesus is all good, and if you dare to disagree, Phoebe's Jesus will come down and he will smack thee upside the head. But I am so confused, because I thought Jesus was this dude who taught love and tolerance unconditional. of the year 2012 when she can quit praying for pagans they can fend for themselves and while the Christians are escorted up into the Holy Land they will char and burn and suffer with all their heathen friends but Phoebe's Jesus is all good and if you dare to disagree Phoebe's Jesus will come down and he will smack thee upside the head but I am so confused cause I thought Jesus was this dude who taught love and tolerance Unconditional. Na 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 boo boo. Na 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 boo boo. Na 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 boo boo.